regardless of what it looks like, to long for you, to, to chase you. And God, we just pray this over our time together and thank you for the, the time that we've had in, in worshiping you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're coming close next week. We'll be ending our time in the book of James, but at every turn in James we find such practical rubber hit the road. How do we live this out? Passages. And many times leaving us with more questions than answers, right? How do we do this? What, what, wait a minute, what? Um, and that's a little bit of where we find ourselves uh, today. We're going to be in James 5. Uh, so we're in the final chapter of James. We're going to be looking specifically at uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, and then we will, we will wrap up. Uh, our time next week in the remaining verses. But in James 5, 1 through 12, we find some very, I mean, Peter has kind of, I'm sorry, James has kind of called it is what it is uh, and been pretty, pretty straightforward in the chapters leading up to this, but, but he doesn't really pull any punches in the passage that we're reading here. And I'll talk briefly after we read through it what his audience is and how we can glean and work from that. But in chapter 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches, they've rotted, and your, and, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And then in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet uh, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate 
and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or of any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so the the situations and and circumstances that that James has been writing about in this letter uh, can be much the same to our credit or discredit, much the same as we can find within the church in 2022. James' words specifically, when you dive in and look at the background and and the the language used, uh, he is writing, his words are are aimed at the wealthy, non-believing, countrymen that that were exploiting the poor in their time, many of whom were within the church. So they were in the church, but not living out their faith, not believers as we see in Scripture of a believer, and then taking advantage of those uh, around them. Specifically, James targets... He's specifically talking about wealthy farmers who own these large tracts of land and, and were basically squeezing everybody and everything for every ounce or, or gram of, of profit that could, be, that could be seen. But and though these persons were, were the calloused, unbelieving rich that kind of what we see in Scripture, I I think this message can benefit the church because it's more about a perspective. It can be more about a way of life, an action versus inaction. James understood that our natural human tendency uh, of envy if sustained, could lead many Christians down a dark path. And so this, when really scathing, if you look at the the language in the original text, the scathing warning to these ungodly rich is also meant to, to steal his people against such folly. And James parallels many of Jesus' teachings. Specifically here, uh, he's speaking and Jesus taught on earthly treasure and and steadfastness, right? And so we're going to, uh, whether you want to stick your finger there or follow along or just kind of listen as we go, we're going to go to Luke 12. um, And then we're going to jump to to Matthew because both of these are parallel teachings passages where Jesus specifically is teaching on what James is trying to communicate to us. And so in Luke 12, 13 through 34, we begin with the parable of the rich fool. In 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, which is really out of context, it, it, it would be like somebody standing up in the middle of church service and say, hey, 
like we're worshiping God and listening to teaching and somebody stands up and was like, hey, Uncle Rick owes me $25. Like, and Jesus says, man, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He's like, he kept his composure, but was like, I mean, it's, that's one of the ultimate like squirrel situations as Jesus is teaching, in my opinion. And, but he goes on, he says, and addresses it, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells this parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere uh, to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and, and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose who's will they be? So is, the one who lays up, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So we catch a glimpse of that perspective shift. Not laying up treasures in this place, but being rich towards God. And he goes on, because it's kind of tied together. Um, he goes on and is sharing about anxiousness. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They never sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are they, uh, are you, than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Right? I, I mean, we actually take away, I think, <laughs> our anxiousness can rob us of, uh, of life. Uh, and if then you are not able to do... As, a, as small a thing as that, why, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They are never, neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure, good pleasure, to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew captures it this way in Matthew 6, 19 through 34. 
Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, the main things that they had were luxury, like food and drink, precious metals, and then clothing. And so every time we see this, when, when we see different points where, where they're warning against us, it's always what take to what comes to, to rob. The, the food will decay. The clothes will be, can be eaten up by moths. The, uh, the, the metals that these goods can be rusted and corroded. But, and thieves will break in to take. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, that there your heart will be also. I love this. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light is in you as darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I would add a side note that we could substitute many things in there. You cannot serve God and treasure. What do we, and we'll talk about here in a little bit, what, what do we treasure what are those things? We can't serve God and idols. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Nor about your body. What, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food? <laughs> Just joking. And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither see, sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which uh, of you, by being anxious again, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? And so we live in a world in which success can be measured by the size of one's wealth or possessions, uh, accomplishments, fame, IQ, grades, degrees, talents, position, power. And regrettably, Christians can also be often tempted to view success in those temporal realities. They forget that fame, education, wealth, beauty, athletic abilities, talents, fill in the blank, can, can be easily lost. And there are some things that are of enduring value, like compassion, 
love, generosity, kindness, sympathy, humility. These virtues not only measure the greatness of a person, but they also reveal who a person really is, right? You've heard that saying of what type of person is he at home behind closed doors. It's one thing to put on a persona around others, but who are you when you're by yourself? Those character traits. And according to the Lord, those are the treasures that count. Those, those, those traits, those character traits, those virtues. And so in beginning, when, when Jesus is teaching in, in Matthew 6 at 19, running through the remainder of the chapter, he, he was originally talking about uh, hypocrisy in the religious practices. And now he's shifting to the values that we hold in life. And he explained that worldly values are as dangerous as this religious hypocrisy that he had been teaching about. Unless the object of our lives, our treasures, unless the object of our lives are based on eternal realities, we stand the risk of losing everything. Okay? Unless the object of our lives, our treasures, are based on eternal Eternal realities, based on Christ and who he is, we stand the risk of losing everything. And it's what, what Jesus is teaching, again, in verses 19. Lay, up, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures, treasures on earth, where moth and rust uh, corrupt and destroy, their thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So everyone has some treasure. Rich or poor, regardless of demographic, everyone has treasure. And the reason Christ didn't exclude anyone from the matter of treasures is because treasures consist more in the affections of the heart than in what we can hold in our hands, right? So every human being, regardless of their age, status, gender, Consider, consider some things as very valuable. And so that begs the question then, wh what is your treasure? What is our treasure? Treasures may be tangible or intangible. They, they can be held in the hand or simply dwelled on in the mind. A treasure is something you, you place your affections and attention. Maybe money, possessions, reputation, honor, praise, relationship, again, degree or time. Your treasure is that which you value above other things. Uh, in Joshua 7, we see an example. Achan valued a, a Babylonian garment and a little silver and gold above the commands of God. So he took what was abandoned in the conquering of Jericho. Because Achan treasured things more than obedience to the Lord, he ended up losing it all. 
And on the other hand, we see Acts 5, uh, the greatest treasure uh, of Ananias and Sapphira was the, what others thought about them. And they wanted to be honored before men more than having the approval of God, and their whole attitude and behavior geared to his honor and reputation, and in the end they lost all of it, including their lives. And so your treasure is your attitude towards possessions, towards things. It's whatever you most eagerly strive to obtain. Is it what you most, yeah, it'd be what you most dread losing. And so the question, again, what is your treasure? What do you deem most valuable? Now, Jesus is not opposed to treasures, things. When Jesus said, lay not up your yourselves treasures upon earth, does it mean that it's wrong for Christians to own or possess things in the world? No, I don't, I don't believe that. Jesus is not condemning possessions or ownership or even enjoying what God has provided you in life, nor is he forbidding Christians to save or store up resources for future needs. The Bible we see in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, is commending the practice by using this ant wisely work to gather food for the future. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, Paul writes about neglecting, providing for one's family and amount to infidelity. Treasures are not necessarily evil in themselves. What Jesus was warning against is this improper value that we place on those things. It is that which so ties us to the world that we risk losing eternal life. It, it is our, our affection to these things that give treasures wrong values. The, the kind of treasure to treasure well, notice that Jesus explains only two destinies for our treasure, right? He's talking about on earth, and then he's talking about in heaven. And the first one, treasures on earth, is centered on the, the earthly, or that which finds its value only in relationship to the world. And talks about its passing. The other hand, treasures in heaven can't be affected by any act of sin or consequence of the fall. That They point to those things that have a lasting Value. They transcend the grave. The treasure laid up in heaven is imperishable. No, no fire or flood can destroy it. No feet to uh, despoil it. No moth or rust corrupt it. And again, the way to lay up treasures in heaven is to develop Christ-like character. Character is our great harvest of life. Character development is enhanced by the actively spending time in, in devotions to the Lord so that we can increase in faith and hope, charity, and all of which Paul says to abide in in 1 Corinthians 13. 
And the most powerful reason that Jesus declares for storing up treasures in heaven, we see in 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? The, the word heart is used for the whole inner man, the core of our total being, this wellspring of all that we do. And so when Jesus speaks of where your treasure is, he means the whole of our being is wrapped up in that. If that's our treasures here on earth, then our hearts will be upon that. If it's our treasures in heaven, our Lord, then our hearts will be upon that. So in other words, where we invest, our treasure will determine where we set our affections. What we invest in, we are committed to. What we invest in is in what we're committed to. And it can come to the point where the things we treasure actually govern, govern our lives. And so these passages of Scripture, to look, taking this snapshot of the church as James writes this, and we apply that and look at our natural tendencies and, and our, how we com, are constantly combating the world, these passages of Scripture call upon us to really reconsider or maybe consider for the first time priorities in our lives. Because once, when something's important, it will take priority, right? We have a saying at our house, and I do not model your home after our home, What's the hottest fire? That's just smoldering. It's fine. This one is a Yosemite wildfire. Let's devote our... <laughs> but what is important will take priority. It urges us to give up that which is valuable to us, possibly these earthly treasures, for what is most valuable in lives, the treasures of heaven. And so as you take out these different commands in, in the passages that we looked at in James, in Matthew, and uh, in Luke, it tells us be patient. It tells us to establish your hearts. Don't grumble against one another. We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Be on guard against all covetedness. Be on guard. So, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Instead, seek his kingdom. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up yourselves treasure in heaven. Again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and pride. 
whatever, fill in the blank. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we must be daily moving from religion, from this dead religion, to a living relationship. We must daily be moving from a dead religion to a living relationship. So from a list of do's and don'ts to a change of our hearts. We must daily be applying these principles. This kingdom living. And not just words on a page or decorating a t-shirt or a, or a mug or whatever, but a declaration, right? So not a decoration, but a declaration. And each and every one of us is uniquely and wonderfully made. And we make up the church. We make up the church globally. We make up the church sitting here gathered this morning. Just as, as we are to be vigilant, uh, vigilant with, with where our treasures lie, so must the church. I've shared before um, this, uh, this idea or this difference between a monument and a movement, right? A monument is this memorial, maybe a memorial stone or some type of structure or whatever, a building erected in remembrance of a person or of an event, an idea. But a movement, a movement is a series of intentional uh, activities working towards a con common objective. And so we strive to be an active living movement here at Harvest. Working together to become more Christ-like each and every day. Longing and acting to engulf our community with the love of Christ, right? That's why we put all of our time and energy and resources in VBS most recently to engage the kids in our community, in our neighborhoods and surrounding And when we assess where our treasures lie, it, it begs hard questions. Even within our own lives, but even within the, the church. In Joshua 1, uh, 2, the Israelites were at a crossroads. Their leader Moses had died and the leadership was split. Some wanted to stop where they were, call it quits, build a monument. With Moses dead, many thought the movement had died as well, and yet God had different plans for him. Joshua 1, 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the, uh, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. And the, the command God gave the Israelites was simple. 
keep moving. That's perhaps the, the, the simplest way to determine whether our church, the church, is a movement or a monument. Movements move. Some questions that then kind of spark to be asked, is our church genuinely reaching lost people in the community? Is any church within our community? But specifically, when we make an assessment, right, we ask hard questions. I ask about, about harvest. Do we genuinely reach lost people in the community? Not somebody going from this church to that church to this church to that church, but new faith in Christ. I know that's the kind of thing that like gets Jeff out of bed in the morning. To, uh, that's at the core of his being is to be able to share If not, how do we do that? Are we, is Harvest effectively reaching this next generation? Are we pouring into the little ones? You know, if, if young adults or, or young families or kids or, or whatever are like staying away, Maybe a monument. How many have been baptized? Again, it's not about numbers, but it's questions to be asked. Are, are we seeking the lost? Are we baptizing those that want to be obedient to his word? What's the demographic of our church? Is Pretty much everybody the same, or do we have every walk and background and ethnicity? And the last thing I was thinking of, of is our, are we hearing of stories of, of life change? Are we hearing stories of what's going on? Not, not remember when such and such did. No, that's back to the back to the monument. No, I'm talking about this. Here's what's going on now. This is what happened now. This is how God's moving. So I think there are a great amount of that are movements. I think we are more a movement than a monument here at Harvest. But we want to be intentional in that. Are there, is God calling us to different ways to be able to engage even more lost people? Is God calling us to engage the younger generation even more depth than we already have? I want to be, and I want Harvest to be, and I want us to be uh, obedient 
to when he says, let's move, we're coming along. God hasn't called us to be a caretaker of a monument, but to be part of his movement. And so the same for the church. Where do our treasures lie? Do they lie in the building? I hope not. Do they lie in our reputation, our finances, our heritage? No, I want our treasure to be seeking and saving the lost. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and two passages that we've heard, but I want to close with. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I just ask that you would commit with me this morning, today, to live out these commands. The, 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 these commandments, this, this commission that he has called his church to be, to seek out kingdom living. Let's pray. Father, we continue, and this is, we just continue to just be open and willing to move with your guidance. We want to be very purposeful that we don't want to move for moving's sake. We don't want to move because a group decided this would be fun to move this direction. No, God, we want to move because we feel you leading us. And we know that if you are leading us, God, when things seem impossible or puzzling or we can't wrap our arms around it or we don't understand it, we can rest and know that you have all things in your hand. And so, God, that, that is my prayer this morning for harvest as we continue in this chapter of seeing where you want to lead us. God, that you would lead us in our finances. You would lead us in our building. You would lead us in, in how to engage the world. But they would be simply tools for expanding your kingdom. They wouldn't be dwelled on. They wouldn't become treasures or idols to us. But they would be tools that could be leveraged for the greater good of sharing your gospel. And that is what we want the heart to be, to feed, to nurture, to clothe, to, to, to be a refuge for those and walk alongside one another as we navigate this place. 
your son's name. Amen. Each Sunday we have the opportunity to take communion together. We have four different stations here around the around the gym. And so I would just encourage you, whether you partake by yourself or or with a family or group, whether you take it back to your seat and just reflect this a time to pray with one another, to pray for one another, to just reflect on what you what God is is revealing in your heart. So I just encourage you to come and take communion together with us this morning.